The Accidental Entrepreneur is produced by Beinhacker Law and brought to you through our affiliate relationships with the following sponsors. One of One Productions, the New Jersey-based podcast studio that produces and edits both audio and video podcasts. They sell equipment for the average podcaster and have even created a guesting kit exclusively for our listeners. North Authentic, the conscious hair care marketplace offering the cleanest brands from around the world. The Healthy Place, the e-commerce site with thousands of supplements to help you live a healthier life, along with natural solutions for chronic pain, stress, anxiety, depression, sleeplessness, and much, much more. And be sure to support the podcast by ordering some logo merchandise from our online store. Listen to all of our sponsors' commercials later in this episode and follow their links in the show notes to learn more about their products and services. That was not where our partnership should lie. Right. Uh, We will never uh, sell to Walmart and we will not sell to the big box chains. Yeah. I've heard stories about all kinds of people dealing with companies like that, not just in your industry, but I mean, they just take advantage of suppliers and manufacturers all the time. Yeah. I've got stores. stories. Yeah. Yeah. Now you don't manufacture, right? So when you were, when you were creating these products with the colors, you were working with the manufacturers to do what That's you right. wanted them to do. That's right. right. And, and the prime manufacturers, my family. In uh, Taiwan, remember, most of it yeah. comes from there. Yes. I remember going to them and telling them, I want a red walker. And yeah. they're like, red? Are you sure red? <laughs> and I'm like, yes, red, like on a Mustang, red. Yeah. And so they were uh, like, well, let's see how you move They them. were skeptical, and I, right. And I remember going to visit the factory and the whole place was like red walkers. Really? Because so, yeah. they're making, why? Because now do they sell, they don't sell just to you. They're not your your manufacturing facility. They, they're selling to all kinds of distributors, right? My family's factory only uh, provides for us in the United States. Okay, so you're you're a Nova Products distributor location in the United States, and the, is it family owned, like the whole group? Yeah, yes. Yeah. So the the family owns the factories in Taiwan and Vietnam. Got it. Uh, I own the company here. Um, but we also work with other manufacturing partners um, all over Asia. The information provided in these episodes is for entertainment purposes only. It is not a guarantee of success or to be construed as advice of any kind. You should always seek advice from local licensed professionals before making any decisions. The dictionary defines an entrepreneur as a person who organizes and manages any enterprise, especially a business, usually with considerable initiative and risk. People often start a business without much choice, perhaps due to a job loss or just being dissatisfied at work, and they come up with an idea they just know can be successful. They become entrepreneurs by accident. That is to say their success or failure happens by accident, not with intention. My name is Mitch Beinhacker. I'm a corporate attorney and a business advisor. You're listening to The Accidental Entrepreneur, my podcast about how to achieve success on purpose, not by accident. Join me along with our monthly guests where we share our knowledge and help you get a hold of your business. And now on to today's episode. Hi, I'm Sue Chen. I'm the founder and CEO of Nova. We are a brand of over 800 products in medical mobility, bathroom safety, health and wellness, think sexy canes, turbo walkers, and a super comfy cushion. I'm also an organic hazelnut farmer. The brand of hazelnuts called Love Hazelnuts because we want you to fall in love with America's best nut. 
All right. So today on the podcast is a special guest. Um, I'll tell you why in a minute. But my guest today is Sue Chen. As she just said, she's the founder and CEO of Nova Medical Products. Sue is an Annenberg Foundation community champion, a YPO executive member, founder of Operation Blue Pride, and director of the Reef Check Foundation and Wild Aid, which I hope she'll tell me about as we're talking. Sue is a finalist for the prestigious Ernst & Young Entrepreneur, Entrepreneur of the Year Award, recipient of the Community Leadership Award from the President's Council on Fitness, Sports, and Nutrition, and named one of the 10 most powerful entrepreneurs in Fortune Magazine's Most Powerful Women issue. Sue Chen, welcome to the podcast. Whoa, Mitch. <laughs> That's a mouthful. Yeah, thank you. And I'll tell everybody right off, the our connection is that you, and I believe your sister, right, yes. went to high school with my wife, right? That's right. Western and you guys, High School. Yeah, and you guys stayed in touch. And then I was like, I, I want Sue to be on my podcast. She's like, oh, I'll, I'll reach out to her. So I appreciate um, you taking an hour out of your day, which is like kind of the middle of your day, right? Because I'm 3.30 here, so it's That's early, right. well, 12.30. Lunchtime here. Yeah. So, okay, good. So I'm just interrupting your lunch. All right. So I'm so excited to hear your whole story about Nova and about hazelnuts. And I'll chime in about what we did because we ordered the whole thing and did the whole thing with the hazelnuts (laughs) and also all the good, the good work you're doing. So maybe you want to go back to, you know, when you grew up in South Florida, where your parents from, I don't even know if they're immigrants or not, were they born here and all that stuff. And then what got you to start Nova and what it's doing today? Sure. Thrilled to be here. Uh, Hi, Nita. Go Wildcats. Uh, So I'm an immigrant. Um, I immigrated to the United States with my family when I was shy of my fourth birthday. Okay. And, uh, you know, my my parents brought us here because they wanted a better life for their kids. Sure. I mean, that's why immigrants come to America. And this is what country did you come from? Taiwan. Okay. The little island uh, off of China, the independent country off of China. Yeah. Everybody knows about all the controversy that goes on there now. Your people hear about it. So That's Taiwan's right. in the news. Yeah. Okay. So how did so, how did you pick South Florida? Were there relatives yes. there? Family? Yes. Well, we had no relatives. When we came to America, we were we were alone. And uh, so my dad really wanted us to grow up in like a rural country farm. And so he was able to get a job at the chief of rehab at Hollywood Memorial and then outskirts, like people don't know that Florida can be very rural. I mean, anyone yeah. knows. And so uh, we found uh, this little farm in Davie, Florida. And so it was awesome. You know, we had this wonderful house, but we had animals. We had cows and horses and chickens and ducks. And right. That whole dogs. area was more rural than it is now, right? When you guys grew up, it was like oh. unincorporated, whatever, right? Yeah. I mean, manatees yeah. were still swimming in our canals. Really? So, yeah. <laughs> it was country. Uh, yeah. So, so I yeah. grew up country. Okay. All right. And and you, okay. So well, you'll take me through the journey, how, what you did, where you went to school, because somehow you ended up in California. So you'll explain that. Yeah. To me. So I'll just kind of just fast forward on that. So, okay. you know, we had this incredible childhood and kind of life and all through high school growing up in Davie, Florida. And I just loved it. My fam- my father did have cancer his whole life. Um, it actually allowed him to come to the United States being discharged from the military. He went to uh, medical school through the military in Taiwan. That allowed us to come here, but he lost his battle to cancer when I was 14. Mm. And so after I graduated from high school, you know, it was really important for my mom to move back to LA where she actually did have some family. Oh, so okay. 
I graduated and she waited until I graduated and I wanted to go someplace where I didn't know anybody because I had such a comfort zone in Davie, Florida, you know, living there for so many years, so many sure. wonderful friends. That's all you remember, so, right? Yeah, yeah. So I went to this small school in, in San Antonio, Texas, Trinity University, where no one from Western High School went to. Right. And I went there because I just wanted to get to know myself uh, alone. And how so did you hard. how did you pick that school? If, uh... Well, I picked the school because I had to go where the money was. Okay, and so that's I was a good able answer. To get an yeah. academic scholarship to Trinity, and they were looking to diversify their student base. So Got it. I was able to go there, and that worked out great. And then after Trinity, I went back to LA. Uh, my mom had, you know, started a life there, and uh, I wanted to just kind of see where I could find some opportunity. And I was thinking that I would go to law school or get an MBA, and I really wasn't sure what I was going to do after college. Right. And then I had this opportunity to open up Nova in the United States. So before my father passed away, you know, he had this dream to make better products for his patients. You know, he worked in rehab and at the VA and he just thought, you know, this medical equipment is just so archaic, you know, it hasn't right. innovated in years. Yeah, no, you, so, everybody knows, right? The walkers, they're all like just aluminum. They fold up. They're hard to use. They look terrible. They're called bad metal. They right. Put Is that what it's called? Balls on them. Yeah. I mean, yeah. in the category, it's durable medical equipment, bent metal. I mean, that walker that everybody knows, it's ubiquitous. It doesn't work. So people right. put tennis balls on them. I mean, it's I just know. ridiculous. So my father had this dream, but he passed away. But his brothers did start a small manufacturing facility in Taiwan. Mm -hmm. And they were just making the same products my father hated. Right. Um, but I had this chance. You know, I, they said, well, you know, you don't have any brothers. There's no other family in America. So why don't you try to start a distribution for Nova in the United States? So Nova is Nova the name of the company in Taiwan? Yes, it is. Oh, After that's where the name Nova, comes from. Because my, my uncle went to Nova Vocational School, which is Anita will know from Southern Florida. So right, Nova, sure. Name. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Okay. But it also means new star, new chance. You oh, know? Yeah, perfect. So. Yeah. I think it's ironic that we have a, a like a walker, for example, for older people who can't get around and they can't put their own tennis balls on these things. So obviously somebody's helping them do it. Like you got to modify your own equipment that's supposed to be helping you. It's kind of ironic, right? It's ubiquitous, but it's crazy when you think that we put tennis balls that we cut up on someone's mobility product. Right. It's crazy. Yeah. I, I mean, it's amazing that nobody ever decided we should solve that problem to just letting these poor people walk around with yellow tennis balls on the bottom of there. Nobody That's cared, I guess. Right. Yeah. I, I understand. I see that. <laughs> I see that. So that was, so that was what year did you start the company in the nineties, right? Early nineties. 1993. Okay. So, yeah. So, and your, your sister is Anita's age, right? You're a little bit older than Anita. You're probably more my age. One year. Yeah. Okay. So I'm a little bit older than you. So I graduated law school in 92. So then you started the company. Now, did you go and get your MBA or you just finished college and start in the business world? I finished college and I started the company, but boy, I really wish I would have taken more accounting classes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't think you need your MBA to be an entrepreneur, but counting definitely, you know, it all stops and starts at no, knowing your numbers, right? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so it's been a while then you've, you've been running the company a long time. This year we turned 29. Yeah. So, yep. See, I'm a little bit older than you. So I've been practicing just about 30 years this Ooh. year. So there you go. Exactly. So what was, do you remember what your first product was? Like, how did you get started? What was your first? Yes. So I yeah. remember all of our first products and they were the bent metal medical equipment. And, and, you know, the industry was really confusing to me because 
you think about just products and selling products in retail, well, medical equipment, durable medical equipment, basically the model was reimbursement. So yeah. you, you, you have products and what is Medicare going to pay for? Right. And that product has a code. And then you submit that code, Medicare pays a certain amount, and you give it to the person that supposedly needs it. Right. So it was a reimbursement model is what I entered into. And Medicare is only going to pay for this kind of walker or this kind of cane, very right. specific products. Yeah, it was like a, subscri- a prescription, basically, exactly. right? They're writing you a prescription. You don't go to Dick's Sporting Goods and get your equipment. Well, maybe you That's do right. now. I don't know. You'll tell me. Okay, we so have was transformed. It a, was it a walker? Was it a cane? What was the? Yeah, so the first products we had were called bent metal, bent metal durable medical equipment. So we had that awful walker in different sizes, commodes, crutches, canes, um, basically bent metal aluminum products in mobility and bathroom safety. So we had about you know 60, 70 products. So you, so they weren't what they are today. When you got started, you were selling the same things, right? That you were just participating in the industry. You didn't at that point. That's right. We were just participating and it felt very confusing to me. And then really kind of the game changer early on was there were these walkers, these four wheeled rolling walkers that were developed in Sweden, that the European market was starting to transition from a pickup walker to something with wheels. Imagine if you had wheels, you could actually move faster. Right. So my uncle said, you know, you may want to try bringing in these four-wheel walkers and seeing if you could, you know, move them in the U.S. market. So I brought in a container, couldn't move them because Medicare didn't Wouldn't know how to pay for it. Right. For it, right? Yeah. So, so people are like, well, it's a, it's a good product, but is Medicare going to pay for it? I don't want to pay really for it. Right. Sure. So what we did is we just decided it's a great product. Let's just give them away, but let's give them away to the right places. So we went to UCLA rehab department, Cedars, Kaiser, and I contacted their rehab people and I said, I've got this great product. Can I drop it off and for you to try on your patients and see if they can walk better on this versus something else? And then through some research, we're like, you know what? This product actually can be coded. There's two codes that you could put together for this product to be paid for. So then oh. once we created that little bit of demand, then the patient would go to their medical supply store and say, hey, I want this walker. And then we would tell the medical supply store, here are the two medical the codes for it to get it reimbursed. So we, I remember the day we 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 sold four walkers. You know, so that was how we got things <laughs> right, going. Right, because there's no code, you can't order it. That's right. Got it. But then eventually Medicare killed the code. So really? that actually did help us start moving the product. And as Medicare does, is when they see a spike in a code, too many people are using it. Are people taking advantage? Right. Of the they want to know is it fraud or whatever they investigate yes. it. Yeah. So they they kill the code. And then the reimbursement was just for that basic pickup walker with tennis balls. And so it was really hard to get it reimbursed. So that was the time we had to make a decision. We knew people needed the product. We knew people loved the product. We knew it helped them so much. So how were we going to get it to Americans? We thought, imagine if we could put it in a retail box and sell it at a store. Because our, our suppliers were medical supply uh, p- providers. They yeah. didn't know how to do retail. They only right. knew how to bill a code. And, and getting them to take a credit card was something that was so foreign to them. 
So we decided let's try retail. Let's put it in a retail box and try to get it in a retail store. And so we got it back in the day. Remember, Californians will remember Save on Drug Stores. I think they're now CVS. So we were able to do a test pilot and get that walker actually into a drugstore. So these are people that said, listen, I don't want the Medicaid, Medicare walker. I'm going to buy my own walker. Like they couldn't get partial reimbursement, could you? You couldn't submit to Medicare and say, hey, give me the hundred bucks or 50 bucks. It probably wasn't even that much for the walker. And then I'll pay the difference. You couldn't do that. No. No, we had to just sell it cash, just like any product that you would need. Right. Consumer products. And I remember this gentleman, because we put our phone number on the product, he came by to get a tune-up on his wife's walker that he bought at Save on Drugstore. And he said, you know, I had no idea something like this even existed right. until I was going to Save on and I saw it getting a prescription for her. Right. So thank you for making this available. Nice. You know, I needed this product for her. Yeah. her it changed her life. Right. And so then we knew what our mission was going to be. We had to get our products from reimbursement to retail and get it to the consumer. Okay. Then that was, how long did it take you to discover that? That was about what year? That was in like 1997, 98, when Medicare started cutting the, you know, cutting the reimbursement and changing the code. So I think we got that product into Save On uh, around 1998. Okay. But was it still, it still was, was it still kind of a, just an aluminum gray product or was it no like fancier? It was fancy. Yeah. And so that Walker that I told you that, you know, the transformational Walker with the wheels and the brakes. So we started making changes to it to really align with people's lifestyle. And mm-hmm. the biggest transformation was to make the Walker beautiful. Yeah. Like to make it red and make and add colors to it, which seems so normal and natural because we all love colors and we choose colors but at the time every no one ever actually asked the consumers what they wanted right because it was medicare and so because we put our 800 number on the product we wanted feedback and i talked to so many people and i started going to assisted living centers to Mm -hmm. show people about the product and i was like people aren't old they're not elderly they're not disabled they're just they just have more years. Right. They but have more still years on the like, body. Yeah, that's all. But they're Don't still feel like, good about stuff. Yeah, they're still yeah. stylish and sexy and cool. Yeah. And they want beautiful, cool-looking walkers. Yeah, they want to feel good about what they're walking around. Look, there's plenty of times when my grandparents, my father even told me, get me Sue's number after you talk to her because he's <laughs> 78. He's got some health issues going on. He may need a walker at some point or a cane or something like that. Nobody wants to bring it. They leave it home. They they they're embarrassed. They don't want it to to use until they really 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 have to. You know, well, and you can feel good about what you use. Well, that's actually one of the the dangers is that there's so much denial yeah. in using medical equipment that it actually leads to falls and and things that we can prevent. So our biggest innovation was changing the emotion yeah. around the product. Of course. From dread and denial to wow and love. Yeah. And by making a beautiful product that works well, that is just so innovative and cool, that changed how people felt about the product. And that's how it changed the family members. I would see grandkids be like, Grandma, your walker is so hot. You know? <laughs> well, what's good about it is that we'll be old someday. And then I'll have to be, use a walker with Anita 
And I'll be like, I could thank you for not having to look better, me feel better about using it. Well, get you his and hers. We'll, we'll plan your ride. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, okay. So, but that was a different, you know, that's a bit of a risk, right? From a, from a, I mean, the, obviously the easy route, it's not the good route, but the easy route is, right? You, you go the government way, right? The doctors are prescribing it. The people don't have to pay for it. And it's all coming through. But you were now going down into a marketplace that kind of didn't exist, right? The demand was probably there, but the question is, you know, would people pay for this stuff? And I guess you kind of tested it, right? And you did, but you didn't really know if it would go long term. Well, it has taken us over a decade to build the retail path, okay. and in, in in that path, you know, we've had relationships with the chains, with Amazon, but foundationally, our start was with the mom and pop medical supply providers. Right. There's thousands of them. And sure. they have a heart for really helping people. But Medicare reimbursement really destroyed so many of their businesses. What if we can take those providers, and there's thousands of them, thousands, and transform them into retailers? Yeah. So that's what we've been doing for the last 10 years, is transforming providers to retailers because that's really the place that if you have to get that walker for your dad, you want to go into a wonderful, loving, educated medical supply store. You don't want to go to Walmart. You know, you don't want to go to Amazon. Right. You want no. to go someplace where people care. So are there medical supply stores? Because when I think of it, I think of like my grandparents going to their doctor, right? getting a, him telling you really need a, a cane to walk with here, writing him a, a script. And then what happens? They, there's a store that you go to. I don't even know where these things exist. So there must be a lot of these. There are a lot. So we now sell our brand into over 6,000 independent medical supply stores and independent pharmacies in America. Okay. So are the bigger ones carrying it too? Like does CVS carry it? Walgreens are not really. We broke up with all of them. They they get the cheap ones. They get the knockoff. Well, yeah, junk. we we decided that that was not our um, that was not where our partnership should lie. Right. Uh, we will never uh, sell to Walmart, and we will not sell to the big box chains. Yeah, I've heard stories about all kinds of people dealing with companies like that. Not just in your industry, but I mean, they just take advantage of suppliers and manufacturers all the time. Yeah. I've got stores. stories. Yeah. Yeah. Now you don't manufacture, right? So when you were when you were creating these products with the colors, you were working with the manufacturers to do what That's you right. wanted them to do? That's right. Right. And, and the prime manufacturers, my family. In uh, Taiwan. Remember, Most of it yeah. comes from there. Yes. I remember going to them and telling them, I want a red walker. And yeah. they're like, red? Are you sure red? <laughs> and I'm like, yes, red. Like on a Mustang. Red. Yeah. And so they were uh, like, well, let's see how you move. They were them. skeptical, and I, right? And I remember going to visit the factory and the whole place was like red walkers. Really? Because <laughs> so, yeah. they're making, why? Because now do they sell, they don't sell just to you. They're not your, your manufacturing facility. They, they're selling to all kinds of distributors, right? My family's factory only uh, provides for us in the United States. Okay. So you're, you're a Nova products distributor location in the United States. And the, is it family owned, like the whole group? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So the, the family owns the factories in Taiwan and Vietnam. Got it. Uh, I own the company here, um, but we also work with other manufacturing partners um, all over Asia. Right. But anything that Nova overseas makes, you distribute only exclusively. Yes, that's right. And then you get other products that they don't make from other 
manufacturers. That's correct. Are they all overseas? And whether it's in Europe or Asia or whatever, or some in the United States? Uh, nothing in the United States. We just do a little bit of light assembly here. Huh, I wish we could make it here, but yeah. it's hard to do that. There's like no industry doing it. No. Huh. no well. um, it doesn't surprise me, but disappointing a little bit, right? It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Okay. So, so you've been running this company now for a while. You've gotten all kinds of awards. I know I had a mouthful there with all the things that you're doing, but you do have other things that you do. We're going to talk about the hazelnut farm because, and everybody should do this, by the way, anybody listening, my wife and I did this. We bought a, a kit from Sue. It was a big bag of hazelnuts and a cracker and some other things and some jars, right? Yes. And 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 uh, recipes. And then we cracked the hazelnuts. We made hazelnut butter. It was a great experience. We had the hazelnuts all over the kitchen. They were <laughs> flinging everywhere. You, you got to get that little technique down as to how you crack them. Don't right. shoot all over. But everybody should do it. It was a great, it was a great experience. I'm going to go home and tell her to order another one from you. Um, but so had it, what made you, I mean, obviously hazelnuts and durable medical equipment, they go right together, right? It's, it's a natural progression. What brought you into that? What made you go buy a farm and say, I'm going to grow hazelnuts? Well, um, so running a company for 29 years and, and staying incredibly passionate about it for 29 years really kind of required that I have other passions too. And, yeah. and I think that for entrepreneurs, uh, it, it's, it's, actually good for you to be healthy uh, to explore yeah. other things because it just brings that passion back to your own company passion okay. lives in the same place and it's right here so um in my early 40s i was really getting to know myself again i got divorced at 40 and i really was just like wow you know where's my life going you know um and um and so as i was getting to know myself again as we have to do um, I remembered like my memories of Davey, Florida. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that because you said it earlier, right? Farming and yeah. that's where your dad ran. Yes, and I hadn't thought about it for a long time because it was kind of painful, painful memories. And um, and as I was getting to know myself again in my 40s, I thought about that time and how special it was. And I thought to myself, you know what? I'm single. I don't have kids. I'm going to go buy land and be a farmer. And so I had spent a lot of time in Oregon because mm -hmm. um, we have a lot of Nova business up here. And so wow. I was up here, up in Oregon, and I was like, it's so beautiful. And I said to my- Is that where you are today? You're at the farm? No, I'm at the oh. Nova headquarters. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, but uh, I was like, you know, I'm going to come back here and I'm going to scout for land. So in November, when it's still, it's kind of dreary and rainy, it doesn't matter. I went up yeah. there, got in my car, got the maps you know, out and looked for some real estate. And I just started looking for land and I found a piece of land. And at first I thought, okay, I'm going to be a vintner, you know, I'm going to grow grapes because I'm in the yeah, Willamette Valley right. and it's going to be like Napa. And, uh, and so I got lost, of course, and guys like, what are you doing up here? You know, because <laughs> I look like I was from LA, you know, right. I didn't have the right farm boots. Yeah. And I was like, well, I'm looking for land because I want to be a farmer. And he's like, farm what? And I was like, grapes, I'm going to be a vintner. He goes, ah, you and everybody else. He goes, why don't you think about farming something else? I'm like, something else? So as I'm driving around, I see these orchards. So wait a and second, I'm, you didn't go and like look for a farm to buy. You're just starting with raw land. That's right. <laughs> okay. I didn't yeah. picture it that way. I pictured it like you found this hazelnut farm and you're like, oh my God, I'm in love with this. Okay, so go with the story. That's pretty yeah. funny. It was just to be a farmer, but I, I, right. I wasn't sure what kind of right. farmer. Yeah, you had no idea. So then I'm driving around and I see all these orchards, you know, and I'm like, what are these? Are these apple trees, pear trees? You know, I don't know. And then I saw a sign that says hazelnuts for sale. 
So I get out of my car and there's this lady and she has those whole hazelnuts and she's showing yeah. me how to crack them and I'm tasting them and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is what a hazelnut is, you know, and it's all very exciting. And so they were everywhere. And so this piece of land that I found, I did some research out of OSU about soils and, and you know, so anyways, after some research and I talked to a couple farmers, it was the perfect land to plant hazelnut trees. So bought the land, came back, bought a bunch of baby hazelnut trees, planted them. And then four years later, I had my so first four years. years. Is that what it took for four yeah. years? Yeah. So you have my first, uh, first oh, I was the commercial. first, right. We were the first uh, crop, right? Yeah. That's yeah. Right. So you had told me, I think before when we were talking, something like 98% of the hazelnuts come either the United States or the world. I have no idea. Come from Oregon, right? That's right. So United States is the fifth largest producer in the world. Okay. But that's still just like a fraction Tiny. of the, you know. But in the 98% of that U.S. comes from Oregon. Because of the climate, the soil, or whatever? It's a combination of all those things. But we've got really the ideal climate and soil and rain in, in the winter and, you know, dry summers for hazelnuts. Here's a word from our sponsors. Looking to get into podcasting? Maybe to market your business for your own enjoyment or because you have a message you want to get out there. One of One Productions is a New Jersey-based studio just over the George Washington Bridge that caters to the booming business of podcasting. They offer a comfortable atmosphere using the latest technology available to record your podcast. And they are a full-service media company offering both audio and video production services, creating both audio and video podcasts as well as video shorts for business and personal use. Professional audio equipment packages are available through their website for all budgets. And be sure to check out their podcast guesting kit, created specially for our listeners. Care for your health. Care for the planet and look flippin' great doing it. North Authentic is a conscious hair care marketplace offering the cleanest brands from around the world. Their pro stylists curate only the most fabulous non-toxic hair products with better-for-you shampoos, serums, masks, and more that actually give you gorgeous hair without hurting your health or the planet. Hey, you've only got one life, one planet, and one glorious mane. Might as well treat them all as best you can, right? Try a 100% clean hair care routine prescribed just for you using their link in the show notes. If you don't see a big, beautiful difference in how your hair looks and feels, you can tell them they're crazy. Do you battle chronic pain, stress, anxiety, or depression? Well, if you take any supplements or you're interested in natural alternatives, you need to know about findyourhealthyplace.com. Find Your Healthy Place has thousands of supplements to help you live a better quality of life, as well as natural solutions for chronic pain, stress, anxiety, depression, sleeplessness, and much, much more. Need guidance? Use their live chat feature and talk to a wellness consultant right on their website. And be sure to use our coupon code TAE Podcast for all your purchases to get the best prices at findyourhealthyplace.com. Follow their links in the show notes to learn more about all of our sponsors. And now back to our show. So did you go and plant seeds in the ground or you buy small trees? Or how did you start? Yeah, you buy, you know, little, little trees. trees. Yeah. So they're like a year old trees, but they look like little sticks. And right. so when we planted them in the ground, I was like, they're just like little sticks, you know? Right. And so I would look at them every day. And then in spring, they started budding and started growing. And now these trees are like all way taller than me. And I feel like I watched them grow up. I feel like I'm their mom. Well, you kind of are. 
Yeah, I am. Yeah. How many trees did you start with? 1,300. 1,300? Yes. And I think you like on- planted a dozen trees and waited to see if we had hazelnuts. <laughs> no, 1,300 trees. And I would check on every so You obviously didn't do that by hand. Somebody helped you, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So you, so is, there must be irrigation systems, right? That water the trees. And I mean, not watering around with a pose. So, right. So well, you have people, no, somebody who works the farm for you. We don't water the trees. So we're organic dry farming. Interesting. Uh, okay. Yes. So, but the first three years we did water the trees one by one. We have a truck that basically has like a giant straw that gets injected into the ground and just okay. like pumps a couple of gallons. So in the summer when we don't get any rain, they need it in the first few years. But now, you know, they've established a big tap root and a little bit of struggle, you know, these last couple summers is, is kind of keeping these trees a little stronger. So we haven't really watered in the last They don't need uh, a lot of water, huh? But they get a lot of water in the wintertime, okay. a lot of water. And then in the summer, um, the tree just kind of uses that taproot to pull the resources it needs to survive. So it doesn't take a lot of love and care of the trees once the tree is established. Well, what takes a lot of love and care is just kind of the management of the trees. And so there's a lot of mowing, you know, to try to keep that ground clear. And also going organic is just yeah. a completely different process. So no pesticides. That's what organic means, right? No yeah, sprays. No, yeah, no pesticides, no herbicides. Most organic farms, you'll look at the floor and they're just completely, you know, free of any weeds or grasses because they spray and they kill everything. Um, but to me, it just didn't seem logical that you would spray the ground to kill the weeds, but it wouldn't affect the soil or the trees. It has so to, that's right? Just, of course it does. Yeah, of course. Um, but it didn't feel right to me and it just felt wrong. And I felt like the trees didn't like it. <laughs> I know right. that sounds kind of corny, but I feel like I'm their mom and they tell me. Um, and so we decided to go organic. So we have to do, we do have to mow it to keep the grass down. And then the tree is really a bush and there's little suckers that come out. And a lot of the farms just spray it and kill those suckers, which I know damages the tree and soil. So we actually have to go in and manually cut in all of those. That, that sucks away from the main part of the tree, right? Because it's like drawing on the resources of the tree. So you got to cut them back. Is that why? That's correct. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So since we're talking about hazelnuts. So when we get the hazelnut, it's like this hard shell, right? And you crack it in the nuts inside, but that that's not what grows on the tree, right? It's like, isn't it something wrapped around that? No. No, it's just the hard nut? Yes. Yeah, so the, the nuts that I that you got to your house, yeah. that's what they look like when we, they fall off the ground. So you, you pick, pick them, them up in the ground or is there, is there screens or netting no. underneath the trees? No, you just pick them up no. off the ground. So what we do, it's actually a pretty cool process. Okay. So okay. I don't know if your listeners are into it, but. Well, they're going to be into it now. Too. I'm interested in it. So I don't care. <laughs> okay. So when the nuts are ready, okay, yeah. it's a hard nut to crack. So the nuts eventually, you know, turn brown and hard. And when they're ready, guess what they do? They just fall to the ground. So okay. once they fall to the ground, then we're just dealing with like squirrels and birds, you know, trying to eat your nuts. So, But they're pretty uh, hard though, right? I mean, you can't. Can a squirrel crack one of those open? Oh, oh they yeah. Can. Yeah, they, they can. They go right. nuts. They go nuts, <laughs> literally. So the nuts fall to the ground, okay. and we wait for most of the nuts to fall on the ground. So you're not once picking they, them off the tree? No, they just okay. fall. Okay. So once they fall to the ground, and it's just like raining, you know, all the nuts are on the ground, then there's a really cool machine called the Monchero. Mm-hmm. And the machine, first thing it does is it sweeps out all the nuts from under the tree. So it goes under the tree and it sweeps the nuts under the tree. So they're all positioned in the middle of the aisle. 
Mm -hmm. Then it turns on another contraption. It's like a transformer. It's so right. cool. <laughs> then it goes through the aisle and it scoops up all the nuts. And it kind of has a weighting device where if it's about a weight of a nut, those nuts go into the bin. And the things like the husk and the leaves that are that lightweight, them. that just gets blown back out to the orchard. And so we're able to collect all the nuts with one, one guy, one machine, and about four or five hours. And they're pretty much clean, like in terms of the buck, the bins of nuts have just nuts in them for the most part? Nuts, there's some rocks and stuff in there, but they're yeah. not clean. So they're really dirty because they're the soils there and everything. So then okay. the next step is we've got to wash them really, really well, and then kind of let them dry um, in a dryer. And once that's done, then that, that nut and that shell preserves for two to three years. Okay. I see. So because you, yeah. Okay. So it's, but it's a business, right? I mean, it's not just for fun. So not everybody just buys a sack of, ha sack of hazelnuts that like we did. So who, who are your buyers? Who are your customers? Well, so this is a part where I am learning Okay. And, and learning about farming. And it's really interesting because much of what the hazelnut industry has to do is similar to other industries that are facing all these pressures. It's really hard to be a farmer in America. Yeah. It's really hard to survive. It's hard to make money. And I'm seeing that, you know, so you don't, you don't have a lot of options as a hazelnut farmer and you have to do things to really reduce the cost. That's why it's hard to go organic because it's expensive. And so you're really dictated by the market price of what they're buying. Right. You can't for. sell your hazelnuts twice the price because you raise them organically, right? I can't, you Grow know, they, they basically go to a packer. Yeah. Um, and they're, everybody sells to that packer. There's a price that the market commands that year and they take everything and then they handle all the distribution. So you really only have one channel. So I so want you're just to selling the raw goods to the packer. Then the packer right. sells them to whoever, whatever, whoever's doing whatever they're doing with them. That's right. Okay. And most farmers do that, whether it's beef farmers or, you know, corn farmers, they sell to the packer and they could kind of control the distribution. And so I really wanted to explore other ways that we could sell our hazelnuts. And so that's why we have a website and we sold some direct to container and try to think of ways like the nut butter kit that we can move the nuts. Um, so I'm exploring. I'm on that path of figuring things out uh, with this hazelnut business and seeing yeah. if you know Well, you're a business, you're an entrepreneur. So you're not yeah. just going to pick up nuts and send them out. You're going to be figure the business out. So I, I think it's interesting because hazelnut flavoring is pretty, pretty popular. I mean, you're people put hazelnut in their coffee, you know, people eat hazelnut ice cream. Uh, there's that chocolate spread. What is There's one that's almond, but there's, you know, there's one that's, Nutella. yeah, exactly. Isn't that is, is hazelnut in Nutella? Yeah, but yeah. it's really bad for you. Yeah. No kidding. Really? Yeah. I think the only thing worse than that is marshmallow fluff. <laughs> and usually right. people put the two of them together. Well, yeah. that's why Nutella is so bad for you. That's why you can make your own Nutella. And so that kit that I sent you, if yeah. you just With added real a little, hazelnut. Yeah. yeah, if you just add a little chocolate to that, you just made your own household Nutella. Right. Because Nutella itself has like hazelnut flavoring, right? It doesn't have real does it have real hazelnut in it? No. Well, so. I just challenge your listeners just to look at the back of the label. Yeah. Number one and All number chemicals. two is palm oil sugar. You yeah. Know, it's and then there's going to be a little bit of hazelnut in there, but it's certainly not a primary ingredient. Right. And by the way, hazelnut butter, we made it. It's not, it's very good. 
and we don't know what we're doing. And it was good. You know, we just followed your instructions. We didn't know. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. Okay. So, so we're going to put a link in the show notes. People can go to your farm and they can order your nuts, uh, like a bag. You got to get a big bag because they, they whittle down to, you know, you only get so much out of the bag and they can check out Nova, Nova products, right? Novajoy.com is the website. That's right. Okay. So let's talk about some of the other things that you're doing because you're a shark enthusiast, right? Like a, you like the mother of the shark, you save the sharks, you swim. There's a picture of a shark. It looks like it's fake. You stand <laughs> like the shark's just fine with you standing next to it. So it's like a great white shark. I had built a relationship with that shark over the course of that week. So we knew each okay. other. Okay. Until yes. it eats you. How do you build a relationship with a shark? Well, sharks don't like to eat people. They oh, that's good to know. Yes. <laughs> yes. So thanks for bringing that up. I wasn't yeah. sure you were going to bring that up. but yes, No, I want to talk I, about it. Yeah. I'm a shark advocate, and it's something that's so important to me and I think important to share. You know, they're a, they're a vital creature in our ecosystem. They've been on this planet for 400 million years for a reason, keeping yeah. our oceans clean and healthy. But they've been demonized yeah. so much. And shark week. Oh my God, demonized, but really it's not just that they're demonized and we allow these atrocities to happen to them, but shark fin soup, which is this dish that was consumed in, by the Chinese, but mostly yeah. by rich and royals. But you know, with the Chinese economy booming this last decade, you know, people serve shark fin soup all the time and that's led to basically the decimation of so many shark species for their fins. It's horrific, absolutely horrific, yeah, and it needs to stop. I want to eat shark fin soup, is it good? No. It's horrible tasting. It was just a status symbol. But I think that that's why it's so important for people who do love sharks to educate right. people on the facts of sharks. And there are just so many myths. I feel like they're the most misunderstood creature on the planet. They're not yeah. man-eating machines. You know, they right. don't want to eat you or Jaws. me. They want to they eat a seal. Yeah. You know, they want to eat a disease-dying fish. Most right. sharks don't even have teeth. But, you know, more. You know, I'll give you this fun fact. More people get killed by vending machines than by sharks. Vending machines? Yeah, because you like know people fall like, on them. Yeah, because you know when something doesn't come out, <laughs> right? You know, and you go, you shake a vending machine, it could it fall falls. on you. Yeah. Well, so more people get killed that way than from sharks. And that can't be a lot. It can't be. Well, that's right. the point. Yeah. So right, because the news sensationalizes things. That's why, and the movies sensation and TV. You know, if you think of sharks, you think of. Well, jaws growing up and stuff like that. Like you're going to go to the ocean, they're going to come and eat you. That doesn't happen. So, yeah. I mean, look, there are shark attacks, but they're, you know, a couple. They're not thousands. No. And it's it always mistaken identity. You know, sharks are curious. Um, so they'll take a bite. Like I always say this to kids because I do a lot of shark education for kids. Mm -hmm. Imagine you bite into something that you think is your favorite food. You think right. it's a hamburger. Yeah. Somebody like shoved a Brussels sprout in there. You didn't know when you hate Brussels sprouts. What are you going to do? Spit it out. So with the occasional shark bites, a shark is going to bite into something, go, oh, that surfer, I thought it was a seal. My bad. And it releases. And so sharks don't have cravings for human beings. They crave right. other things. And so, but occasionally there might be a mistaken identity, an accident, yeah. and that's, and then it gets all. What happens? That exactly. So you, you have, you're either involved with, or you started a foundation that raises money and awareness for preservation of sharks. 
Well, it, it actually was a combination of, so I went shark diving with Jim Abernathy, who is an incredible shark advocate, shark diver. Okay. And, uh, and, and so I got involved in shark uh, advocacy work. And, and he was like, oh, you have this other thing you do called Nova? You, you have a company? And I'm like, yeah, I have this, uh, you know, I run a company. He goes, wow, how do you have time to do both? I said, when you're passionate, you have time to do both. So he was like, wouldn't it be amazing if we combined your two passions? So it was really his idea. So he's like, wouldn't it be incredible if we invited veterans, you know, wounded veterans, and we took them shark diving because veterans are heroes. You know, they, they, they put their life on the line for the freedom of our country. They would also do that for sharks if they understood um, that they needed their help. So we started Operation Blue Pride. We invited three veterans on a shark mm-hmm. expedition with us, and they became shark heroes and advocates. And so that's how the organization started. Um, and now the organization certifies, you know, veterans uh, to teach them how to scuba dive, which is incredible. Um, and as far as the shark advocacy work, that's really kind of more towards um, Shark Savers, which is now part of Wild Aid, um, does, you know, a lot of the work for shark education and advocacy. That was the connection with Nova because wounded veterans need medical equipment. Is that where the, yeah, that makes that's sense. Right. And so yeah. since then, I've got involved with dive pirates um, uh-huh. and provided equipment for the um the divers for dive pirates so they can actually go on dive trips and, you know, scuba dive and things like that. So it's been a really awesome intersection fits of together. passions. Yeah. Yeah. Except the farming, but the farming fits together with your childhood. So farming is well, just fun. Just fun. Were you doing the farming at the time you were doing the sharks or that came, that's the third thing. Uh, the, the sharks came before the farming, but, but now I, I just do all three, you know, I just feel so blessed. Um, so fulfilled, you know, just, doing things that I love. Yeah. Well, if anybody wants to see more, go to your website and you got to go to the, your page. And there's that great picture. What's the name of the shark? Gracie or something? It's a tiger shark. Well, her name is Emma. Emma. Okay. And you're like standing next to the shark under the water. It's the craziest thing. Like you both like posed there or there was a glass wall in between you. I don't know. But it wasn't, you were under the water. It was an incredible experience because we, we finished our dive. I came up and I still had a lot of air left. So the captain's like, hey, you want to go back down? Um, I'll go with you. I'm like, sure. So it was just me and Emma. And You're you know, in the open had, ocean? You weren't like Emma's a wild shark? Yeah, she's a wild shark. And so it was just me and Emma. And, and she really was like, wow, I get one-on-one time with you. And I was like, I get one-on-one time with you. And so for 45 minutes, she's That's just swimming crazy. around me. And I'm petting her and rubbing her head. And uh, Matt, the captain, was able to snap that. Also. And how, how did she get a name? Well, Jim named her, Jim Abernathy. Oh, okay. So she and Jim are like best friends. Wow. You can actually go to YouTube and Google Emma the Tiger Shark. She's got a whole Facebook page. You're kidding. That Jim yeah. maintains? Obviously, she doesn't. So I think Jim <laughs> maintains it. But there's a lot of really cool video of Emma. She's got a lot of friends. All right. So where where is it's all somewhere off the coast of California that she's always in this one area or she comes and goes and. Well, she lives, she travels all over the world, but right. she does come to the Bahamas um, quite a bit. So that's where we dive and Bahamas. see hers in the Bahamas. Yeah. Oh, wow. Is she tagged or you just know it's her? We know it's her. Wow. Jim knows it's her. Yeah. That's cra- That's crazy. That's crazy. All right. And so let's talk this. about, let's talk more about Nova. So what, yeah. what is Nova doing now? What does it have on the horizon coming okay. up? Yeah, because I know you're always looking to change, improve and change that you told me oh, that. So Gosh, well, uh, so last year was crazy. I mean, now the world knows what the supply chain is. Yeah, And right. supply chain just like- You did, but just, they didn't, yeah. 
crazy. And so it was just an incredible year as far as really thinking, oh my goodness, you know, supply chain is here. It's affecting us. It's affecting our dealers. You know, the 6,000 mom and pop is affecting people getting the product that need the walkers. Yeah. And so we had to make some hard decisions last year. And the big decision we made last year was to stop selling direct to Amazon. Um, and that was at first scary, um, but it was one of the best decisions we ever made. So you could have more supply for your dealers, for that's your right. mom and pops. Yeah. yeah. And it really made such a difference because that's where we want people to buy our products. And it just made us look in the mirror uh, as a company and um, really our mission and our legacy and who we want to support and what really matters. Mm -hmm. And so um, that supply chain challenge kind of forced us to look at our relationships and, yeah. you know, these independent mom and pop stores where I want my mom and your mom uh, to get their walkers. That's those are the people we want to support. Yeah, so, sure. And I'm sure if you if you need something like that, you can't wait six to eight weeks to get it. You can't walk now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you want to go someplace where you're going to get taken care of. So uh, where we are now is continually to innovate products, more bling, more colors. Um, and, you know, we really are the brand that has the most diverse, inclusive and empowering mobility products on the planet. You know, like we have a beautiful cane for someone who's 6'10". If you're over 300 pounds and you want a beautiful cane or a walker, we have that. So we saw that there were a lot of sectors of the market that were mm -hmm. just completely being ignored and we just feel that everybody deserves to walk with style and with pride and with dignity um, so we're always looking to bring in products to make sure that everyone has a chance to be independent um, and beautiful now, was that because just everything was kind of standardized like a cane was a cane and a walker was a walker and if you were heavy or you were this or that or tall tough luck it was like that nobody cared? Well, I don't think, I don't know if people really listen sometimes. And, yeah. I, and I feel like, you know, we don't innovate anything. We just listen better. And, you know, when you listen, you get the truth. Yeah, and sure. the truth that I was hearing from people was that I want to be beautiful still. You know, and somebody actually wrote a comment that I read that says, I love that you have beautiful canes, but why not have beautiful canes for people who are bigger? And I was yeah. like, yeah. Why not? Right. So I feel that Nova's greatest innovation has been our ability to listen and be in the trenches and connect with people emotionally and get their truth and right. then expedite it and execute it with products. Right. Well, isn't that, I mean, that's true for a lot of businesses. The Of the entrepreneurs that I interviewed, and I told you we hit 200 a couple episodes ago. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the ones that are the most successful are always listening to their customers, always asking the question, and, and, and they don't ask five and think that that's the answer. They're always looking to improve what they have and listen to what the people's needs are and see if they can meet those needs and do it profitably, obviously. It's the ones that take it for granted and think, oh, well, I mean, you know, of course, we're just going to market this more. We need to advertise more and not listening to their customers that struggle. And then when things like you said happen, that happened during the pandemic, the ones that weren't listening to their customers, that weren't in touch with their customer base, couldn't figure it out, maybe out of business now, you know? That is so true. The answers, the solutions, uh, the future is, is right there if we just care enough to really listen. Yeah. Uh, so that um, is something that also drives the passion 
you know, because if you really listen to somebody with love and you get that truth, what happens is you start getting passionate. So when people would come and tell me. Did you feel good about what you're yeah, doing? Yeah, I would get passionate. And that passion turns to courage. Right. You know, and then you have the courage to do something. And yeah. then that courage um, becomes gratitude because then you can see what you've done. So it's kind of this, I call it the power loop. You know, yeah. love becomes passion, passion becomes courage, courage becomes gratitude. And then that's how you keep innovation happening and that connection with the customer. I would guess that your um, that the mom and pop customers that you have were very appreciative of the fact that you recognized that you wanted to help them to stay in business and to keep serving their customers. It's because look, it's very easy to, I don't know if the old people are going on Amazon, but their grandkids or their children may be going on Amazon. It's very easy, right? To pick something out and have it sent and whatever you wait a long time, but that's not really where these people get taken care of. And that's right. you know, they're getting driven out by these, you know, virtual companies. Yes. Now the product's still available on Amazon, but they're yeah. available through mom and pop third-party sellers. Right. They have uh, Amazon Marketplace, right? Exactly. Yes. Yeah, that works. And so to your point where you asked that, yes. And that, you know, when you think of, when you've had a business for decades, you start thinking about your legacy. You know, what is it that you want to leave? And right. Amazon doesn't care about Nova. They're, they're not our legacy. Walmart no, certainly no, not CVS. But I think about these thousands of small businesses and to be able to support something they care about so much, which is helping others. Yes, they appreciate it. And that's my legacy. Yeah. So, yeah, it feels good. Well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to talk to me, to share your story, to bring you know, all the stuff to the world. And I, I'm excited. I don't know what holds for you next, but I'm sure it's going to be something else. Um, are you still running Nova day to day? Yes. Do you I'm have any running. plans to, you, you have no plans to slow that down? No plans. Okay. In fact, I am, I'm probably crazier than I've ever been, <laughs> crazy in a good way. Yeah. Uh, Just and busy and busy. Got, yeah. I have an yeah. amazing team of people that run this company. And so now I really get to focus my time and energy on what really matters to our customer base, our dealers. So I really have become the chief education officer. And my mission at Nova is to help them um, help them with their businesses and help them with their, their retailing uh, so they can become more successful. Yeah. Well, it's, it's about the big stuff when you're yeah, you, you're not worrying about if there's toilet paper in the, in the ladies' room. You're worrying about the big decisions of the company. And that's what that's what happens when you grow a company and it's successful. Yeah, no, I, I love it so much. And it's for me, my priority is just people. And so when it comes to my time, my time is with my, my staff. You know, that's why I'm here in the office because it's important that I'm here. I'm engaging with them, that they're seeing me, um, and also with our dealer base. What do you think is one of the one or two things that you that you've found was the most difficult you know if you're giving somebody advice about starting a business or going into business for themselves as an entrepreneur what do you think the one or two things are are, are the most difficult about being an entrepreneur in business having looked I backward think, now yeah i think you just you're so hard on yourself you're so hard on yourself and we spend so much energy with limited information something may have happened just beating ourselves up and that takes an enormous amount of energy right and it, and it takes from you so so my advice would be you know usually something happens and it just rocks your world right um, but really if you just look at just 
the, the facts of what happened and just take that data and just go, you know what? It's not that I don't care or take it personally. I just need to have a strategy around it. So what happened, let me just look at that. Just figure okay. it out, not and figure it out. And then rather than getting and speculating and going, oh my gosh, what about, I like to play things out. Okay, let's just play out the scenario. So, so say, you know, we had a lawsuit on something and I play out the scenario. It could be this, right. it could be this, but let me play out the worst case scenario. I play out the worst case scenario, think about it and go, am I going to be okay? Yeah, right. I'm going to be okay. And then that's then I can kind of strategically look at that situation rather than spinning the wheels and putting so much emotion around something that you don't know if it's going to happen yet. Right. So 99% of the time it doesn't happen. What we yeah. worry about. Because as an entrepreneur, you've got to take care of yourself Yeah. and you've got to have a relationship with yourself. And so, and that means finding ways to work through some of the challenges that come your way and having a strategy around it rather than spending so much energy and time beating yourself up or worrying about something that has never happened, that hasn't happened yet. Yeah. So I guess we're too hard on ourselves. That's what you're saying. We're so hard on ourselves. And, and I would say the, the other thing that I think has been so valuable for, for me in all mm -hmm. these years is have a pitch. Have a really good pitch, whether it's a one-minute pitch, a two-second pitch, or a five-minute pitch, and you got to be ready to nail that pitch anytime. So when I introduced myself to you and I said what we do, it could be like, oh, medical equipment. But I said sexy canes and turbo right. walkers hey it makes you think right yeah so you've got to have that pitch that's going to make people remember you and go wow i want to hear more well we all want to hear more so we're going to put the links in the show notes people should definitely go home and order hazelnuts <laughs> are there hazelnuts available right now this time of year are hazelnuts available yes. okay great um so sue i thank you a lot for joining me spending time with me and sharing your story and i will definitely send your regards to my wife Thank you. This was a blast. And thank you for having this awesome podcast. If you like the podcast, please tell others about us. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, on Amazon Music, and many of the other podcast directories. If you like what you hear, please leave us a five-star review and feel free to share our episodes on social media. If you have any questions or comments, ideas for the show, or you'd even like to appear as a guest, reach out to us by email at info at beinhackerlaw.com. The Accidental Entrepreneur is hosted and produced by me, Mitch Beinhacker. If you'd like more information about my legal services, you can find me on social media or visit my website at beinhackerlaw.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to our feed to be notified of all future episodes.